<laughs> Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Good to see you. We got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right into this. We are continuing on in our book, uh, book of James series. We're in part four. It's an eight-part series. We're going to be halfway through, and there is so much power-packed material in the book of James. Man, I'm excited to get into it. Aren't you glad to be in the house of God? Yeah, amen. This is a good place to be. Yeah, praise the Lord. Um, all right, so. I want to begin uh, by just saying that we're going to be building on the foundation that a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Pastor Kurt from Bayside uh, teaching through the book of James, and he was sharing the portion about that our faith needs to have action to it. We're going to take that foundation, build upon it, and begin to see where God would challenge us, convict us, encourage us, stuff like that. So I want to begin with this concept. We may not be quite who we think we are. We may not be quite who we think we are. If I say that I'm a baker, but I don't really bake, I kind of bake, am I really a baker? You understand what I'm talking about? If I say that I'm a runner, but I only occasionally run, I don't, I'm not so sure I'm a runner, yeah? If I say that I'm a fireman, but I don't put out fires, I'm just a dude in a costume, yeah? Here's the point. If I say that I'm a Christian, but I don't love consistently and actively, am I truly a little Christ, which is what it means? Am I following in the steps of Jesus, or am I just fooling myself, right? We may not be who we think we are. Now, salvation and discipleship hinges upon a concept called faith. Faith has three components. If you're a note taker, write these down. Faith has three components. The first one is belief. The second one is trust. The third one is loyalty. So we have belief, trust, and loyalty. Now, belief means there is a set of facts that create a reality that you must accept. That would be belief. Let me give you an example. Let's say I believe that dogs are better than cats. Just let it sit. <laughs> now, some of you are amening, and some of you are like, oh, I knew he was a heretic. <laughs> now, now, if I believe that dogs are better than cats, uh, will I do anything about it? Now, the next step would be trust, right? So trust means leaning into that reality and acting as if it is so. So in that scenario, if I believe that dogs are better than cats, then when I'm going to purchase a pet, I would buy a dog. Now, now I could be wrong, so I'm trusting that I'm right, because if I'm wrong, I got a lame dog and I wish I had a cat. Does that make sense? But I did something about it. Okay, so what I'm trying to do is separate out this concept that belief and trust are actually two different levels to it. But when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it merges those two. You'll hear it, and you'll go, oh, I just need to believe something. I need to believe a set of facts. No, no, biblical belief involves trust as well. Now, there's a third component, and that's loyalty. It is a commitment to that new reality. You are committing that despite opposition, you're going to continue in that vein. So a loyalty would be you get around a bunch of those cat people. 
right? And they're just like, you know, dogs are not as good as cats. And they're like attacking you and persecuting you for your dog love. And you are like, no, I will stand strong. I believe in dogs. Okay, so as you are hanging on despite the persecution, then you are now loyal to the great movement of dogs are better than cats. All right, now, when we say that we have faith in Jesus Christ and we call ourselves Christians, it's not simply saying that we believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That's important, but it's not enough. We are not Christians simply because we agree with a set of facts. It's more than that. How do we know? Well, James is about to make this point. Demons have better theology than you. Demons know more about God than you. So this whole business that you go, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's like, oh, good for you. So do the demons. You better have a better spiritual life than the demons. You better have a better relationship with God than the demons. They know facts. So it cannot simply be facts. If we are spending all of our time amassing facts and knowing what the Bible says, but not letting it translate into real life, what are you doing? Demons know more Bible than you. So where does it break down for them? They do not go to level two. They know the facts they will not trust and engage with those facts and they will certainly not be loyal. So salvation cannot simply occur at the highest level. It must engage with the secondary level before it becomes real. Does that make sense? All right, so let's talk about this. And I'm gonna keep laying this foundation about what it means to be a Christian. You're gonna go, I feel like he's kind of repeating himself. That's because I'm kind of repeating myself. It begins like this, believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the son of God, savior of the world, king, right? The one who died for our sins. That's, that's a fact. So there are a set of facts that develop a reality that we agree to that is true and right despite what others may say. There is a part of that in Christianity. We believe that heavenly reality is more real than earthly reality. Okay, those are facts. Trust means trust in Jesus to actually do what he said he did. Trusting that his perfect life actually dealt with our sins and made us right with God. Trust by leaning into him for strength, putting his priorities first, believing that he is most important. It means not seeking to save ourselves. It's either Jesus or nothing. That's trust. Belief, trust, loyalty. Loyalty is to live out what God expects of us as his creation as his children. It's agreeing to his priorities and his agenda. It is a firm resolution and a firm decision to live according to what he wants, putting our selfish desires behind us. It is faithfully pursuing his best even when we don't want to. It's choosing to love and worship no one but God alone. Not a God of our own making. Yeah, that is Christianity. Have you done that? That's the lens that we're looking through. Okay, so if you have, it should be obvious that you are a Christian because that internal reality automatically alters how you behave. 
it alters how you view the world, so you engage with it very, very differently. Do people know that you are a Christian? Can they tell without asking you? Do they suspect something's different about you? If they truly decided they wanted to know more about God, are you a viable option to go to? I don't know. Some of us that have somehow bought into this bogus notion that we can be secret agent Christians, right? Oh, I have a personal faith. Oh, do you? Well, that's a terrible idea. So for a moment, we're going to analyze ourselves. If you're a note taker, you'll actually be jotting down some answers while I'm talking because this is an exercise I want us to do together. For a moment, we're going to put aside belief, we're gonna put aside theology, and we're only gonna talk about behaviors and action, right? So let's talk about stuff we do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a mental list or a literal written list, jot down what is stuff you do because you're a Christian? Like not stuff that you would just do as a human being. What unique stuff do you do because you're a Christian? What evidence is there out there that you are living as a Christian? So just kind of think through those things for a moment. I'm gonna give you a couple ideas. Do you serve people? Do you worship and publicly praise the name of God? Do you help the less fortunate? Do you alter your day for God's purposes? Do you give of your resources to support the work of God, like finances? Do you read and study his word to know him more? Do you pray intentionally? Things like that. So just think through that for a moment. If we were in a time of persecution, what do they have on you? that would bust you in a court. That's what I'm really looking for. What outward actions are you engaging with that they would say, I know this is a person of a Christian, here's the evidence. Yeah, do you have any of that stuff? Or is everything internal? Now, some good things, some good works are actually internal. There's nothing wrong with interceding for other people internally. You don't have to Walk through J.C. Penney's yelling out loud and rebuking things, right? That's a little unsettling. First, that you're in J.C. Penney's. Second of all, <laughs> that you're yelling out loud. <laughs> Shots fired. Like, I don't even know why I'm anti-J.C. Penney's, right? I don't know. Doesn't even make any sense. They're already having a hard time, Pastor. Mellow out. Okay, got it. Got it. All right. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. True faith demands real action. True faith demands real action. So James, in the passage we're about to study, has two points. Number one, be who you are. If you say you're a Christian, act like it. Walk it out if you're talking it, because otherwise it's really misleading. The second thing is he blows out of the water all these like comfort zone, self-justification, I'm not one of those kind of Christians, I'm one of these kind of Christians, I'm all good, I don't need to get out of my comfort zone. He just blows that out of the water. So we're gonna walk through that kind of line by line and figure out what he has to say because here's the heart of it. We can't just think nice things and call ourselves a Christian. That's actually not enough. 
Okay, so turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. If you're brand new to the Bible, or you, there's one under the seat in front of you if you don't have one. But let's say you brought yours, you're just not quite sure what's in it. Remember, this is a collection of 66 books. It's very misleading when I say, turn to the book of James, and you're like, I only got one book. I only brought the Bible book, right? Okay, there's 66 baby books in here. We're gonna go to the one called James. Now, if you drop open in the middle, you're gonna go all the way to the right. It's almost totally towards the end. You're gonna go through a book called Hebrews. Then you're gonna hit James. You're gonna stop there. James chapter two, verse 14. He says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Give an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will argue and say, well, you have faith, I have works. Okay, show me your faith apart from your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. You think it's just about what you think? You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Hmm power, yeah? What good is it if we say we have a faith, but there is no evidence? What was the Greek construction says, it's no good at all. It's not useful faith. It's not effective faith. Not only is it not good for you, you might be deluding yourself and you're certainly misleading the rest of us because you keep calling yourself a Christian. Why are you doing that? Can such a faith save you? No, it cannot. The biblical definition of faith Outworking is necessary. There has to be some reaction to what you believe or else it's not legit. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about what saving faith is and how we enter into it, right? We're gonna talk about that believing and trusting and loyalty. Okay, it is a change of heart and a change of lifestyle. See if we can go through this slowly. In the beginning, we enter into it when we recognize our lack and our need for God. Have you ever had that? You recognize your lack and your need for God. Now, for some of us, that was an emotional realization. Some of us, that was just a, well, I guess what we would consider a logical realization. Now, I came to that realization at six. Now, I'd already had Jesus in my life, I, I, I believed, and so I wanted whatever pastor was talking about, so I went forward at six years old. I was, not, I was not repenting for adultery. I was not repenting for drug use. I, I just knew I wanted everything about God because there was a realization in my mind that, that he had all the good stuff and the safe stuff and the peaceful stuff, and I wanted all of that. So I said, I want Jesus in my life. Now, some of you were a little later in life. You had a little more experience. You had a little bit more understanding and knowledge. And you were like, wow, this can't be it, right? Like, like I, in my, my life, I feel like there's stuff missing. I'm always just, I'm like freaked out by loss and grief. It doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like no matter how good I try to do, I don't tend to do everything right. I know I've totally hurt people, which is kind of messed up. I have some weird regrets. But in general, maybe I'm a good person, but I just feel like I was built for something more. Like there's, there's missing purpose, there's missing meaning, there's, there's a void, like that. there's a hole. Maybe, maybe that's what you discovered. Now, 
Let me just tell you this. That was a supernatural experience. A human being will not naturally recognize their need because they would not picture there's anything outside of themselves. They believe the world revolves around them. That's what human beings do. The only reason you know there's a problem is God brought it up. So in other words, every time you felt, wow, loss doesn't feel right, that was God whispering to you and saying, that's because I built you to be a forever person. So it feels weird, huh? Whenever you say, wow, I feel like that stuff in this life is empty, it's not filling me up, he says, I know, because I built you for something supernatural to fill you up, and it's not good enough. All those are whispers from God. And sometimes when you come to that realization, you look backwards and realize he's been talking to you the entire time. Like in retrospect, you're like, oh my goodness, God has been all over me, even as a child. That's because he loves you so much. He's chasing you down and letting you know, kiddo, there's more. Right? So once we come to that understanding, and have you ever come to that understanding, we got to do something about it, right? So that would be the next phase. We recognize, whether it be through a sermon or through something God revealed or something through the Bible, we recognize that God's done something about our condition and He offered a solution and a salvation. We need to understand that and agree to that. And that's where we surrender our life to him. Have you ever done that part, okay? Because once again, it's not enough to simply go, wow, I'm broken, God's good. I'm pretty sure the demons are even at that level, okay? There has to be a, wow, I'm broken, God's good, God did something for me and I want it. That's that phase where you engage with it and you say, yeah, but I want it for me. And whatever that takes, I will surrender. I will fall at the feet of God saying, you are the one that has everything right. This world doesn't have it. I want you. And so I will give my life over to you. I will surrender to you. What I'm hearing from pastor, what I'm hearing from the Bible is that Jesus, you came down here lived this perfect life, made a report card of your life. You, at 30, it was considered a, a, a full-fledged adult life. So at 33, he's like, I did everything perfect. I have purity and righteousness on my record. So what I'm telling you is I, it would break my heart to know that you're gonna die for your sins. I'll die for your sins. I'll like jump in front of you. Right? So here's what I want to do. I made a perfect record. Can I trade with yours? Like, give me your broken one. I'm going to take it and I'm going to die for it. I'm going to nail it to the cross along with me. That way it's completely paid. It's completely done. And now you have this new record. It says Jesus on the top. And then your name is under it. And it says pure. When you recognize that and you engage, go, I want that. I want to be a new creation. I want to start over again. In that moment, you are generated, it's like you're plugged into the wall and all your systems begin to fire up. Stuff you didn't even know you had, muscles you didn't even know you were working because you were built to be an eternal being that was engaged with our God. The minute you connect into God, 
everything comes alive. Now, at the beginning, you don't even understand how big of a deal that is. You're just like, man, I just need to be rescued. That's all I care about. Yeah, but there's more. You're gonna spend the rest of your life going, oh my goodness, he did what? That's the Christian life. So that kicks us into that third wave. We don't just surrender to him but we give our lives to him and we move forward and say that for the rest of my life, to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to chase after you and be near you. I'm gonna walk into my new reality, walk into my new identity. I may not do it all right. I have ups and downs and I'm all kind of a mess, right? But I'm all in. That's Christianity. Have you done that? Because I don't know what you've been told but Christianity is more than simply believing that Jesus was a historical person. It's all relationship-based, is it not? And when you say, I want you, that's a relational statement. When you say, I wanna give you me, that's a relational statement. And so we keep talking in this church that it is a personal relationship with God and that we become a new creation in him, actually called children of God. That's Christianity. Have you ever done that? So this is kind of like that self-analysis. You know, when you hear a challenge in the Bible, your first thought should not be, wow, my wife should hear this sermon. (laughs) Right? You gotta put yourself through the lens and filter first. Then you can worry about somebody else hearing the message. So I'm asking you, what about you? Have you done this, okay? If you have not, at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that very thing. This could be your day of salvation, right? So let's keep digging in. Let's listen to what Pastor James has to say for us. He's like, all right, so those of you that call yourselves Christians, let's get into this. We got a very simple test. Let's say that a brother or sister in Christ comes in with a legit need. And I'm talking about basic needs. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about clothing. I'm talking about they do not have sufficient covering for their bodies. I'm talking about they do not have any way to have food tomorrow. They may have to skip days of eating food. Now, the way the Greek is constructed, it says not only is it a legit need, but you have the ability to solve the problem. So let's say you have the answer in your pockets, but you respond with, "Mm, nope. You respond with some weird nicety. Man, I hope you get, be blessed, be blessed. You know what I'm saying? God's good, is he not? Okay, these are all stupid phrases that you're using to excuse your behavior of not helping out. So you say some platitude to get them away from you so you can feel better about yourself. And that's ultimately the problem. We are using a justification by words. We're saying stuff so it feels like we did something, but just saying nice things don't solve problems, right? Man, I'm hungry, I don't know how I'm going to get food. Be blessed. The heck does that mean? Be blessed, unless that blessing comes with a burger, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about, right? You're just saying stuff, but you're trying to shove people away and go right back to your comfort zone. Because what's the real problem? You're selfish, that's the problem. 
And, he said, and so James is calling him out going, dude, I'm watching this stuff happen in the church. That's not a Christian thing. Now, we do need to talk a little bit about what legitimate need is versus, versus a, a want, right? Like, in America, we really struggle because everything is relative. Poverty is relative. I'm not so sure we understand true poverty. He's talking about true poverty. So if you want to go to true poverty, you're probably going to go to only a few places in the United States, but you're mostly going to go out of country. When you start going to a place where someone says, I laid my baby in the street because I have no food, I cannot produce milk because I don't have any food, and I don't want to watch my child die, and I walked away from it, that's poverty. When we're talking about in Mexico, where a lot of our teams go and minister, and we're talking about living in the dump, we're talking about eating rice and beans every day, because it's the only thing that is afforded or given to us. Not, not, not this, well, I could eat rice and beans, but I wanna eat something that has more flavor. That's actually, we've now shifted into a want, right? I'm talking about legitimate need. Like, I don't know how my family is going to eat. If someone came with that type of need in front of you and you turn your back, there is evidence that you need to question your Christianity. Because that's just not appropriate. You're saying, I don't care if you die. And I, I just don't think that's right. Justification by words. Um, I'm gonna get on a little bit of a soapbox because I have a pet peeve that I believe you need to be my therapist about. <laughs> and it is this. There is a phrase that really agitates me and Christians are really good at using it. Here's the phrase. Dude, I'll pray for you. Do not tell each other or me you will pray for us if you're not going to pray for us. You're like, man, you're getting all intense, dude. I was just trying to be nice to you, bro. Like I was trying, you were not nice. You're lying. And you're misrepresenting God and you're misrepresenting you. And I'm gonna tell you why it ticks me off. Because here's the problem, we all say it. And you know what it sounds like? We are in a prayer rich environment. You know the problem with that is if we're all literally praying for each other as much as we're saying it, there should be miracles everywhere and they're not. So if you keep telling me there's all kinds of prayers going on, then I gotta believe it's God's problem. Don't you shove off your problem on God just because you forgot to pray, just because you didn't want to pray, just because prayer, you don't believe in prayer. Do not shove it off on God that I now have to have a struggle in my faith going, wait a second, Lord, I've had 13 people tell me they're praying for me and you haven't answered. What, just because you want to get out of it and you want to say something nice so it makes it sound like you're what, engaged in my problem? You're not engaged in my problem. You told me I'll pray for you because you wanted to say something Christian, say something nice, and move on. Don't do it. Now, if you're going to pray, bring it, right? Because I think that we're using God as a shield so people don't question if we're good or not. I just wonder if we are. Hmm. He says, let's say they're a believer and they had a need. Why does he need to highlight that? Doesn't the Bible say that we need to love our enemies and love your neighbor as yourself? Who is my neighbor? And it starts talking about everybody. Why does he highlight out that they're Christians? Should we treat Christians different 
than non-Christians. Yes, in some ways we should, in some ways we should not. When it comes to issues like love, it's going to be equal across the board, right? Because Jesus loved non-believers as much as he loved believers. When it comes to things like forgiveness, there is no difference. We need to forgive those that know the Lord and forgive those that don't know the Lord. But I guess it boils down to the concept that as loving as you are, you will always love your family differently or in a different fashion than your neighbors. Why? Because there's a different relational dynamic of how you can love on them. Does that make sense? So it's not to degrade the love we have for the world. It's to elevate that we gotta watch out for each other. Now I'm gonna assume it's motivated in James's world because the church was under persecution. When the church is being hunted and the Christian is poor, there's nowhere to go. You don't get to go to the government. You don't get to go. The Roman Empire wants nothing to do with you. Once you're marked out as a Christian and there's a problem, nobody's going to help you in your poverty. So if your own brothers and sisters in the family of God don't help you, you have no help. I think that's why he was very intense about it. Like, guys, we're family. We watch out for each other. You know how hard it is on all of us. We take care of our own, amen? That was his point. Then he says that famous phrase. Faith without works is dead. What are works? It's Christian stuff. It's stuff you do because you're a Christian. It is stuff like sacrificially helping someone out. It's praying and interceding for somebody. You wouldn't do that as a non-Christian. It's things like, I'm gonna give of my resources so you can have something. It's, it's selflessness. It's stuff that is Holy Spirit inspired. Faith, belief that doesn't have any of that God stuff, is probably not legit. That's what he's trying to get to. He said, now I know full well, some of you are gonna come in and you're gonna challenge me on this. You're gonna say something like this. Pastor, here's the deal. I know there are some people and they are called to like share their faith and then there's people who are called to like consider it deeply. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, no, there's not actually, that's not a thing. Well, pastor, I don't think you understand. Okay, hold on, let me say it this way. Like there's people who are called to go out and like, like do radical stuff for the Lord and then there's people that are like in the church. Uh, yeah, still not with you, sorry. That one's bogus too. Well, okay, pastor, I'm not sure you understand. No, hold on, let me stop you. I understand, I disagree. There's either Jesus Christianity or there's not. There you go. So this whole business about how you're gonna tell me somebody has a different, now I'm not telling you that everybody has the exact same mode on their mission. I'm not telling you that everybody has to minister in the same way. I'm not telling you that we shouldn't operate in our personalities. There are some people that out of their shyness minister one way. There's other people that out of their loud mouthness (laughs) minister another way. There are some people that because of their means can minister in one fashion. People that do not have those means minister in another fashion. What I'm telling you is you gotta do something. It's gotta, whatever it is, whatever God has in front of you, what's the need in front of you and what can you do about it? That's all I'm trying to tell you. Now, I have been super convicted on this stuff recently. Let me give you some stories. 
So back last Wednesday, I was at the KFIA studios and I was recording the Pastor to Pastor radio show. So I do that, I do that all the time. Now, on this show, I don't know who I'm going to be meeting and who I'm going to be interviewing, but in walks uh, a sister from another church that's a, a, a partner church with us, um, and she's heavily involved in ministry. So she's at COP, if you're familiar with Bishop Parnell and all that. So, so she's like, she's family automatically, right? Um, but I haven't spent any time with her, so she walks in, and it's, it's Jackie Wilson is her name. And so she comes in and we're sitting down and she is a crack up. She is super confident. She's, and this is how she says it. She's like, man, I was raised in the hood. I'm not afraid of anybody. And so she starts beatboxing while we're talking and it's just hilarious, right? She's super funny and very, very bold. So we get on the air and we start talking about this stuff. And she said, hey, I gotta tell you a story. She's like, you ever been around people that just smell like urine? Yeah, those are my people. She's like, I go down to K Street because here's why. You wanna know what my job is? Here's my job. During the day, I am the minister of church relations at Acres of Hope Ministries. You guys know that ministry? It's up 80. It helps out single moms with kiddos that are homeless and it provides them an in-program two-year-long help. It's this incredible program, right? So she goes, I work for them during the day. I'm Jackie the street preacher at night. I was like, that's a cool title. I wanna be something at night. So I tried on a couple titles, okay? So here's what I'm thinking, right? I'm just gonna suss it out with you, right? Here we go, here we go. I am Pastor Lance by day, and I am Candy Crusher by night. You understand what I'm saying? Are you guys feeling it? Okay, here's another one. I am Pastor Lance by day, I am Netflixer by night. You understand? Like that's, there's some power in that, yeah? Okay, so she's like, yeah, I do. I serve Jesus in the day and I serve him even more hardcore at night. And you're like, oh, dang, this is gonna get intense. She's like, let me tell you a story. So I'm down at K Street and I was there with my friend and she'll just go down there by herself. She goes, I just minister everybody homeless in the evenings. So I go down there and I'll bring food and I bring everything that I can and, and I just go over and I just serve them and I, I help them out. She said, so I go down there one night and this guy, he's just mad. He's just yelling at me the whole time. For whatever reason, he's got something against me. He's like, he kept calling me the B word. That's what she kept saying. He kept calling me the B word over and over and over again. And she said, so as I'm ministering, I know, she's like, I know I gotta go past this guy. And she's like, Lord, I wanna go around him. But then God said, no. She goes, so I walked right up to him and I said, how can I serve you? What do you need? And he instantly apologized. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. She said, I started talking to that man and I began to hear his story and he began to understand I'm not there to hurt him. I'm there to help him. She goes, you know what, Pastor Lance? That was a month ago. This weekend, I'm bringing him a suit and I'm taking him to church with me. Yeah, praise God, right? She said, let me tell you another story. She goes, I was out there uh, ministering at a homeless camp. She's like, there are rats everywhere. She's like, I am not a fan of rats. And she's like, and so I ended up talking to this guy and he wanted to receive Jesus. And I was like, Lord, please do not make me kneel down in a place with rats. Like, they're gonna be crawling all over my legs. She's like, mm. And she goes, right there, God said, yep. 
She said, I knelt down on those stairs right there with the rats running everywhere, and I led this man to Jesus. Okay, let me pause. I'm sorry, what's your comfort zone again? Like, is there not a conviction that drops into your spirit of going, listen, I'm not telling you, you have to, as a single woman, go to a homeless camp. What I'm telling you is, when you hear people living out their faith and you realize you have an excuse for why you can't say to somebody at Starbucks, I'll pray for you, why is there such a gap, right? Like, not everybody run into Henry this last weekend, right? He had been going to church here for a while and I hadn't met him yet. And so I, I was talking to him after services last weekend. And he's like, he's like, hey, Pastor Lance, I just gotta tell you, man, I, I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in a really, really bad family. Like everybody was gangbanging. And, and he said, I had cousins who literally sold other cousins like into, into sex trafficking. He's like, I, all my life was, was drugs. Well, I got saved out of that. And he's like, and I just feel like for God, here's my agreement with God. I gotta share Jesus with someone, one every day. One every day. He's like, and you know how we do this? He goes, I grab my family and we go down and I grab a bunch of buddies and we just go down to downtown Sacramento and I turn on rap music as loud as I can. And he's like, and I grab a mic and I just start talking about Jesus. Okay, guys, that's hardcore. That's Henry. And what are we doing again? Are we binging what show? Right? And I was having all this conviction. So then I, I talked to him last night after the service, which is super funny because I was referring to him in the service and he was actually sitting in the front row. And I totally missed it because he was wearing glasses. And he was totally like Superman Clark Kent. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> you guys have similar hair. Anyway, it's not important. And we're sitting there talking last night and he goes, he goes so it's one a day. And, I, and he goes, I was hanging out at the gym. I was outside the gym talking with my friends. And I was like, I didn't get mine today, right? I didn't get my Jesus to somebody today. He goes, so I watched this guy walking by on the sidewalk. And he goes, my friends are all talking and everything. And then I noticed he was coming back a little later the next direction. And he goes, so I told my friends, I was like, hey, hold up a second. Yo, bro, what's up? Okay, now I don't know if all of you feel comfortable going, yo, bro, what's up? to somebody walking on the sidewalk, but that's Henry. And he's like, hey, come here for a second. And he walks over and starts talking and he starts sharing Jesus with him. The guy goes, let me stop you there. I'm an agnostic, right? That means I don't, I don't know and I don't, I don't really subscribe to any given religion. So Henry goes, okay, how about this, bro? You, you're, you're believing what you believe, I believe what I believe. I believe that God is real, I believe that Jesus is alive. Now in order to prove that, here's what I think we should do. Give me one thing I can pray for you about. One thing and make it hard. Like it better not be something easy like I get home safe tonight. I want something legit. And he's like, give me something. And the guy goes, I have a tumor right here. He's like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Now I'm gonna start praying for you and I'm gonna pray through and we're gonna see what God does because either he's alive or he's not. And I'm gonna pray that he reveals himself to you. That's intense. This is like a modern day Elijah, right? Throw down prophets of Baal versus God, call down fire from heaven, right? And he's like, and I'm just gonna be praying in. So if he reveals himself to you, you know he's alive. Then he went home and put it on his mirror. That's the guy's name and that's what he's praying for and he's just firing into heaven for this guy. That's Henry. I'm sorry, what are you doing for the kingdom again? 
You guys, I, this is like my living, my job. I don't have another life. And I'm listening to Henry going, I wish I was a Christian. <laughs> right? Some of y'all are gonna say, yeah, well, that's just a different calling. You better know what you're talking about. I think what you mean is that's a different mode of how they flesh out their mission. But if you're saying there's some people that are called to actively be Christians and some that aren't, that's actually not a thing. We have to live a better life than a demon. Can't just be info, amen? Let's pick it up in verse 20. He said, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, which is a great way to address a congregation. Do you wanna be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? All right, so let me give you a first example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and that his faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Why would he have to argue this? Because there was all these different thoughts and modes and our ability to self-justify creates some really weird camps. But he knew that some people were going to pit Paul, Apostle Paul, against him. And some people still do that today. They're trying to say, well, Paul taught one thing, James taught another thing. He's like, that's baloney. We're on the same team. Why would they think that? Well, here's stuff Paul wrote, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Apparently, he didn't say anything about actions. Huh. For with a heart, one believes and is justified. With a mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you want to go further, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It is not a result of works, so no one can brag about it. So Paul like doubles down on this idea that we are saved by faith alone, not by what we do. So people are like, well, then it's just what I think. No. Biblical belief involves steps one and two. It's believe and trust in the same combo pack. Nobody's arguing with anything. They're saying the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. Here's all Paul's saying. It's not the actions that you're doing without a relationship that save you. This is not a religious system. You're not earning your way to God. It's not performance-based. It's relational-based. But if you have a true relationship, if you have a true faith, it's going to result in something. So James says, you guys, we're all Jews, right? And they're like, yeah, I am. And then one guy's like, well, I'm not. Okay, and he's like, okay. Well, everybody, we all know the story of Abraham, right? Like, he's our big dog. Abraham is the biggest deal of the Jews. Why? Because from his lineage, all Jewish people come out. As a matter of fact, uh, the Muslim nation goes all the way back to Abraham's like this big deal, right? So Christians and Jews and Muslims, everybody's looking at Abraham. Before he was Abraham, the big deal, he was just Abe, the guy. And God said, hey, I'm calling you and I want you to walk with me. I want to do something special with you. And he said, okay. And he's like, well, it's going to cost a lot of sacrifice. I need you to give up every part of your way of living and I want you to code do it my way. And I'm going to turn you into a great nation. And he said, okay. He did everything that God asked him to. So he's like, how are you gonna make me into a great nation when I can't have any kids? 
And God said, well, I'll figure that out. Well, while he's waiting, Abraham kind of monkeys with the situation and it, and it doesn't go great. And then when he's super old, God does a miracle. He opens up his wife's womb and he has a promised child. They name that child Isaac. He's going to be the lineage, the promised supernatural lineage of the Jewish people. As he grows up, he's a young teen just before being a teenager. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your child to me on an altar. He's like, I'm sorry, what? I want you to kill your child in my name. Abraham's like, okay, that doesn't sound right at all. I totally don't want to do that. And he, I mean, I'm not here to question you, Lord, but how in the world am I supposed to have a lineage if I kill the lineage? God said, I'll work that out. Will you do what I ask or not? Well, yes, sir. All right, let's go. Isaac, yeah, dad, we're going camping. Okay. They walk out on a mountain, carrying the wood, makes an altar, binds his son, ties him up, puts him on the altar, raises the knife to kill him. God says, stop. I was never gonna have you kill your kid, but what I just revealed to the whole supernatural world is you're all in. You would not even withhold your most precious treasure from me. Listen, I have a ram caught in the bushes right there. That's what I want you to offer on the sacrificial altar. Let your son go. He unbinds him. Dad, I don't want to go camping anymore. <laughs> I know, buddy. I know. I totally understand. I like mom better. I know. <laughs> I know you do, bud. I totally get it, I totally get it. Yeah, we're cool, right? No, okay, just <laughs> give it time, give it time. And James said, you see what I'm talking about here? What really mattered was the relationship and the trust. But how could it be demonstrated as legit until God said, will you give me your most treasure? And he said, yes. Works, the outpouring of that validated that it was legit. Okay, now understand, just people killing their kids saying they think God did it, that's not righteous. There's something different there. It's not the actions, it's the faith, it's the relationship. All right, so then he says this. In the same way, verse 25, he says, like, let me give you another analogy. Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead like a corpse, so also faith apart from works is dead. And he's like, you know Rahab's story, right? And everyone's like, oh, I don't. Okay, so here we go. Some of you guys, you remember when your parents used to read this one right before bed? This is a good story, this is a good story. So the, uh, Moses, big dog in, in Israelite world, hands off to Joshua. Joshua is a war guy. He's now going to lead the promised land campaign and conquest and war. 
And so now he's got to scout it out. The first place they got to take is a place called Jericho. Now, if you're a a Bible person, you know Jericho's where the walls came crumbling down. They don't know anything about that yet. He's scouting it out going, how are we going to get in the city? It's an impenetrable city. So he sends out two spies. They go in the city and they're looking for all these different avenues and routes. Well, they get spotted. So they bail and they run down and they hide in a brothel, right? As you would. So then he goes in, they're like, dude, we are totally in trouble. Like, like, can you help us out? And she's like, yeah, I got a place upstairs. You go on up there and you go hide and everything. Okay, I got this, right? Then knock, 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 knock. It's the police. And they're like, hey, we saw these two guys going in here. Uh, wh- where did they go? She's like, totally right. They came in here. What's weird is they bailed like about seven minutes ago. And I swear, if you guys run right now, I bet you can catch them. They're going right down Main Street. I, I, you better get going. They're like, great, thank you very much. And they all bail. She goes upstairs, they're hiding there. And she's like, listen, let me explain something to you guys. The reason why I hid you is I know who you are. You are Israelites. Me and my family, you see, we've been listening to the news. We know God is on your side. And if God's on your side, I can tell you right now, we are never gonna make it. You are gonna take the city, you're gonna tear it down. I'm telling you, I wanna be on your team. You've defeated people greater than us, and I know our city's impenetrable. God can do anything, and I'm so convinced of that. I just put my life on the line. Do you understand me? Well, yeah, yeah, we do. Are you gonna tell on us? No, I'm not gonna tell on you. I'm gonna let you down the wall in a basket, and I'll let you get out of here, but explain something to me and promise it. I don't know how you're taking the city, but when you take this city, I want my family safe. All right? If you don't tell on us, when we come and storm this city, I want you to tie a scarlet cord on the outside of your window. When everything goes down, we will not kill anyone in this house. Whoever you love, you better get them in this house. Anyone on the outside, I'm not answering for. All right, agreed. Okay, good enough. They bail out into the night. Why would James use that story? Because you have the Jewish hero, Abraham, and a pagan prostitute, and he says, it doesn't matter, it's always the same thing. She believed it and lived it out. He believed it and lived it out. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you come from, if you believe it, you live it out. That's Christianity. Power, yeah? So what, what's the evidence of us being saved? How are you impacting the world? And, and, and I'm not talking about flashy. I'm talking about faithful. Those are different, right? I don't know what opportunities God opens for you, but he's opening them. It might just be you and how you minister to your kiddos, It might be how you minister to your parents. It might be your friend group. I I have no idea. All I'm saying is if you truly believe what you say you believe, we just gotta live that however we can, yeah? This is not a, I'm gonna compete with somebody else and who has the coolest stories. I told you those stories as convicting inspiration that there's more. But here's how we're going to close. I told you at the beginning, I was going to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord as your Lord and Savior. 
And here's how it works. You don't know everything about God. You don't know everything about the Bible, but you do know this, that right now God is revealing to you that what I say is legit. Not because I said it, because God's word said it. And you know right now that you need the Lord. So we're gonna pray. I'm going, you may not know the words. I'm going to pray you through a prayer to own who you are and receive his salvation. Can we do that? So let's go ahead. Everybody, however you pray, close your eyes, bow your head, however you do that. If you right now know that God is whispering your name, that for the first time you wanna give your life, or just as the legitimate way of saying, I know I need the Lord right now in my life, can you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and then put it down. Raise, yep, yep, it, who else? Yep, in the back, okay, who else? Yeah, all right. I'm gonna pray, you pray along with me in your heart, okay? God, I'm coming to you now because I know you're whispering my name. There could be nobody else here, it's just you and me. But God, what I know is I have no plan for my afterlife. I'm not even sure I have any plans for my life. What I know is that what I have right now is not sufficient. What is going on with me is not all the story. You have more for me. I know I wanna be connected to you. Everything I'm hearing sounds right. I know that you're the only way to life. I know that you're the only one that can rescue me. I don't have another shot. I have, not, I have not lived for you. I own that. I'm sorry, God. I've hurt people. I've done things that, that were just violations, not only against them, but ultimately against you. I own it. I admit it. You're, what I'm hearing from pastor is that if I will confess those things to you, that your Bible says that you will forgive me of all of it. Not just what I think right now, but all of it. God, I want my whole life cleansed right now. Jesus, I need you so badly. I need you to take my yuck and give me your good. I need you to nail that on that cross. I need that what you did 2,000 years ago to be effective for me. I wanna be a child of God. I want brand new. I want a new leaf. I want a new life. I wanna be plugged into my reality of my creator. I wanna come alive for the first time. God, would you turn me alive? God, if you leave it up to me, I'm probably not gonna do this very well. But I can tell you this, that in this moment, I commit my life to you because I don't have any other choice. I choose you. So I'm giving everything over to you. I'm gonna have ups and downs and I'm gonna be a mess. But Lord, you said I could come to you as I am right here, right now. I commit my life to you. Save me, God. Heal me, God. Rescue me, God. Holy Spirit, come and just wash me and baptize me and cleanse me and fill me. I need all of you. Download to me my purpose, my meaning, who you see me as. Show me my identity. Take me under your wing and make me your child. Now I'm gonna pray for all of us because as Christians, there's so many of us in this room that trust the Lord and we just need an anointing to be on fire today. So we're gonna pray that. Can I just have the prayer team come on forward? 
uh, if you could come up to the altar. If you receive Jesus just now, they have something for you. They have packets to be able to give to you about how to start your new life in the Lord. And they can just kind of pray with you and they'll get the stuff that you need. But for the rest of us, let's just pray some fire, yeah? Let's do this. Holy Spirit, we have committed to you. We are sitting here right now as verified Christians saying that we're all in. We say yes to you. Yes, we're still a mess, but we say yes to you. God, we are praying right now that you would cleanse us, that you would dig out all the yuck and out of all that space, Holy Spirit, you would begin to fill it and fill it and fill it. I pray that you would ignite and anoint us all across this room. I pray that, Lord, that everyone that can hear my voice, everybody that is online, that is willing to surrender more of their lives to you, I pray, God, that you would anoint us, anoint us, anoint anoint us, anoint us for ministry to go out there and be the church and do stuff and not just think nice thoughts and study theology. God, I pray all all that is good, but there's more. You want to transform lives. So I'm just praying right now that you would quicken our spirit and give us eyes to see that there are opportunities and divine appointments all the way around us. Lord, that we engage with every new scenario with a fresh fire and a fresh passion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.